And uh, Chuck Nieder and I go way back. I met Chuck when I was uh, right out of college. I was uh, a first-year youth director at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Didn't know what I was doing. I had not a clue. I knew I loved kids, and I knew I loved Jesus. And somebody told me that those two things went together, and I should uh, pursue a career in youth ministry, which I ended up doing for 13 years. But that's first summer, 1981, was when I met Chuck at Fun in the Sun. And for the last 27 years, Chuck has been my spiritual mentor, uh, my spiritual father, uh, and in so many ways uh, has been a phenomenal influence in my life. We really have a, a Paul-Timothy relationship, and uh, one of these days he'll figure out that I'm Paul and he's Timothy, but um, it's, been a, it's been an incredible friendship. And Chuck's connections to Green Tree are, are maybe more than you realize. Not only was he very influential in our decision to come and, and be part of Green Tree, but also a lot of our students have uh, experienced the opportunity of, of participating in his ministry, which is called Youth Conference Ministries, and they do conferences uh, and mission trips for middle school kids and high school kids all over the U.S. And, and the mission trips all over the Western Hemisphere. And literally in the last 27 years, I was trying to do the math this morning, which actually it's been longer than 27 years. You know, we're probably closing in on about 200,000 high school and middle school kids over those years that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ through his ministry. Our students go to Great Escape every summer. So if you're a middle school parent and you have a child that's been to Great Escape or is going to Great Escape, uh, that's Chuck's ministry. They provide that, and it's been a great blessing. There are kids at Green Tree that are Christians today because they've been in those conferences. So he's a dear friend. He's a good friend of Green Tree. He is a, a spiritual blessing in my life, and I'm very proud and thankful that he's going to come and share with us this morning. So would you welcome my friend Chuck Nieder? Thank you. Thanks, Freddie. Appreciate that. Well, it is a pleasure and an honor. Always good to come back to, to Missouri and to the snow and get to try to fly home. That'll be fun. Um, it is good. And thank you for your support of, of our ministry. Tom is president of our board and, and has been a great help to us in trying to take our ministry and, and move it to other places around the world just to have a legacy of people who, who, who love Christ. And that's what this is all about. There's a little girl that was drawing a picture in her, um, in her school class, in her Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher said, well, what are you drawing, Emily? And she said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, no one knows what God looks like. And without blinking the eye, Emily said, well, they will in a minute. Uh, and I hope that in a minute or two that you'll get a better glimpse of what it is that God's called us to, that what it is that... He wants for you and me as we enter into this battle for our hearts. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. There's a great book out called Waking the Dead by John Eldridge. It's a book that a lot of this sermon comes from. So I'd encourage you to get the book that John wrote, Waking the Dead. He's also written Secret uh, Journey of Desire and Sacred Romance. He's got some great books and, and anything that Eldridge writes is, is really good. Let me ask you a question. If you were to see with the eyes of Christ, how would you see things differently? If you actually had his eyes coming from your heart and you were to see with the eyes of Christ, how would you see things differently? If you see with the eyes of Christ, how do you view your enemies? If you see with the eyes of Christ, how do you see a homeless person? When you do it under the least of these, do you see Jesus? If you see with the eyes of Christ and you see an economic crisis, what do you see? 
an opportunity for the church to be the church, to love one another and care for one another, an opportunity for us to really grow as a body. What do you see if you see with the eyes of Christ? Paul says in, in, in Ephesians that our eyes might be enlightened, that, our, that we might, our hearts might be enlightened, that we might see with his eyes. There is someone in opposition to you seeing with the eyes of Christ. Now, this is not something that I want you to, to, to dwell on. This is not something that in any way leads you to the devil or evil. But you need to know that there's someone in opposition to you seeing with his eyes, and that's Satan himself. Satan does not want you to see with the eyes of Christ. Now, in order to see with the eyes of Christ, you do not look at Satan. You look at Jesus. I want to be very clear about that. When they try to spot counterfeit bills in Washington, D.C., the people who are spotting the bills never look at a counterfeit. They only look at the original. And they know the original so well, they can spot a counterfeit, okay? Now, if you're a good theologian, you understand that, the, that Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. There's no question about that. You understand that the battle has been won, but you also see a tension that there is in this world, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities. We wrestle against that which is trying to destroy us. We're told in John 3, the thief comes to steal, to destroy, and to kill. And how does Satan do that? What is Satan's movement? What is he trying to do? Satan is trying to deaden your heart. Satan, if he gets your heart and he gets it dead, if he gets your heart where you look at things and you no longer see the way Christ sees, then he's one. Then the homeless person becomes a nuisance. The poor become something that, you know, are just there. Marriages go down the tube and that's just the way it is. Children get abused and that's just the way we live in our society. We begin to accept things as, as they are and they can't be better because we can't see with his eyes and our heart is deadened. Now, here's the important thing you need to know, that this is a battle. There is a battle for your heart. And you and I need to enter into the battle as warriors. We need to enter into the battle as those who are seeking to guard our hearts, for out of it flow the issues of life. You have a great church. If all you're getting in your, for your spiritual nourishment is a sermon every Sunday, you're probably not in the battle. You and I need to do our work. We need to spend time in the Scripture. We need to allow those demons that haunt us to be done away with so that we can see freely as Christ sees. It's a battle. The imagery in the Old Testament is so much of, of a battle that God is a warrior. Are we warriors? Or have we just sat back and said, well, I invited Christ to come into my life, and that's fine. I, see, I read the Scripture, you know, once or twice a week. I may have a quiet time here or there. But that's all it is. You know, it's, it's as if we're not in the battle, a lot of us. And, and J.R. Tolkien's uh, The Lord of the Rings, which is you ought to read it and, and you, ought to, you surely ought to see the movies. They're phenomenal. This is not a movie about devils. This is not a movie about magic like Harry Potter is. Harry Potter's trash. This is a movie about a battle between good and evil. 
This is a movie, this is a story of a battle between good and evil. And it's a battle between good and evil. And there's these little hobbits and they're trying to get a ring that is evil, that wants to be possessed by, by, by the, the evil king. They're trying to get it to destroy it. Now we know the end is going to be there. We know the hobbits are going to succeed, but they're involved in a great war, a great battle. And we, I fear, in the Christian faith are not warriors because our hearts have been deadened and we just think things are the way that they are. And probably, if you're sitting out there right now, you're saying, I don't get it because the deadened heart doesn't get it. That's the whole point. And that's why we have to work hard to, to enlighten our hearts, to become free, to see as Christ sees. In, in Ephesians 6, we see the armor of God. The, we see there's a, there's, we're, we're dressed as a warrior, armor that faces into the evil. There's no armor to protect the backside in Ephesians 6. It all faces the front. You ever heard the term, do your work? We got to do our work. We have to see where our heart has been deadened. And we have to be willing to embrace that and to go to God. And we have to be willing to let the scriptures define who we are and what we believe. And God will then begin to open our hearts. And, we'll be, and then as our hearts are open, our eyes are open, and we see things differently. Had I been living in the first century, and I saw a man hanging on a cross... 33 years old, an itinerant preacher, never traveled very far from his home, never wrote a book, said some things that were kind of crazy. The religious leader said, you know, he's, he's evil. Rome crucified him. And I had ridden by that cross. I would have looked at that and said, what a tragedy. I would not have seen the redemption of the world taking place. I would have thought that the Roman senators were making history. I would have thought that the, the legions were the power. I would not have seen what was going on. Today, I can't name a Roman senator. The real force for good in this world the real battle to do good and to be righteous and for justice is not the government. It's not Barack Obama, and you should pray for him. It's not the Congress, the Senate, or the, um, the House. It's the warriors who carry the name of Jesus. Where's your heart? Is your heart enlightened? Is your heart free? Because a free heart believes that things can be better. A free heart knows that life can get better, that the marriage can get better, that a free heart knows the community can be stronger. A free heart knows that there's nothing that the power of God can't overcome. Do I see with the eyes of Christ? I don't think I always do. I'm not always willing to do my work. I'm not willing to do the hard work it takes to be a warrior. Some of you are in the military, and you know how hard it is to fight a war. You know how hard it is to be trained and disciplined. Listen, the battle is won. The war is won, no question. 
And again, I'm not asking you to focus on the devil, but look at Paul. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was knocked out. He was knocked down. He was crushed. But he fought the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? Is it just to get through? Is the good fight of faith just to go to bed every night, wake up every morning, spend eight or nine hours at work, maybe read a scripture here or there, is, you know, go to bed, watch a little TV? What is the good fight of faith? Is that all it was for him? He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was knocked down. He was crushed. He was involved in a great battle for the hearts and minds and souls of men. And I will watch more TV this week than I will study the Scripture so the Scripture can do its work in me as a sharp two-edged sword to free me from the demons that I might see with the eyes of Christ. I am not much of a warrior. I'm not. Just recently, my wife challenged me to just quit watching so much TV. To just, you know, quit watching so much sports. And I know if you're at University of Missouri, that's not hard to do. But to, to, quit, to quit watching it and to focus on some other things. But I have an excuse. Well, it allows me to kind of cool down. It, I can kind of wind down. And, and the Lord said to me, as if he, just, he almost automatically heard it, wind down from what? Wind down from what? Are you in the battle? Are you a warrior? Do you care and pray for those people who are around you who don't know Christ? Do you see with his eyes? And do I see with his eyes? So much of what Jesus says is about light and darkness. So much is about bringing clarity that we might see. But I want you to see that the eyes of the heart are connected to the heart. In, in John 9, we, we, we get a little passage here, and we'll just take a quick look at it. Many times in Scripture, Jesus does stuff that's sort of unusual. He'll make a statement that he never makes again. Remember when he was with Nicodemus, he made the statement, uh, you must be born again. He never says that again, and then he illustrates it in Nicodemus with, with, uh, uh, with uh, the guy you preached on last week. Who is that? With Zacchaeus, he says... Um, you know, I've come to seek and save the lost. He only says that once, and he shows it in relationship to Zacchaeus. And in this particular passage in John 9, if you look at verse 39, it says, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. That those who do not see may see. Now, in Scripture, the word see can be used in a couple different ways. One way is I see with my eyes. I understand what's going on. I mean, I see. The other way is I understand. I see it clearly. What Jesus is trying to do is get us to see things the way he sees them. He's getting, he's getting that we see a thief on a cross and we see an opportunity. We see people who are nailing us to a tree, to a, to a cross, and we forgive them. We see an enemy, and we pray for them. He's getting, trying to get us to see like he sees, and it's all connected to my heart. You ever made a statement, I could never love that person? That's not seeing with the eyes of Christ. Because Christ can love all people, and he can love them through you. In John 9, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man 
who was blind from birth. It's kind of interesting that in the Old Testament, a blind man was never healed. A blind person was never healed. Jesus is the only one that heals a blind person in, that we know of in all Scripture. And he was passing by. He was on his way somewhere. That is such an interesting phrase of, that we see when Jesus is on the move and he's always looking. He sees Zacchaeus in a tree and he, he says, come down. He knew his name. He, in John 5, he sees someone by the, by the well who's been sick 38 years and he, and, he, and he goes to them and he says, what do you want? Uh, you know, Nicodemus comes to him and he sees clearly he's passing by, but his eyes, he's looking because his heart is in tune to the, to the suffering and the misery in the world. And he wants to bring light and hope. And we are his warriors. We are his ambassadors. Are we in the battle? Are we in the battle for our own hearts? Because until our own hearts are put at peace, until our own hearts are at rest, and it's an ongoing process, we will not be the warriors where he calls us to be. We will come. We will sit in church. We will go on Wednesday night. We'll read the scripture one or two times uh, a week, and that will be it, and we really won't care anymore. TV and extracurricular activities will take more of our time than the study of Scripture. You, you, you might be saying now, well, you're kind of making me feel a little guilty. Good. It's about time we felt a little guilty. Maybe if you are guilty, we should feel guilty. And you'll fight me on this. And if you're probably, if you're the male of the house on the way home, you go, I don't get it. You know, I just don't get it. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. We got an economic crisis. We got to do with our 401k. Sure you do. We got to go watch St. Louis play today. Sure you do. You got to do all of those things. But you got to also guard your heart and protect your heart. You got to realize you're in a battle for your heart. There is someone in opposition to you. And Jesus wants to destroy that so that you understand that you can see with his eyes. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither did this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying, I caused this person to be born blind, so 30-something years later, I can come and show the works of God. I don't think that's how God works. But what he was saying was this was no one's fault of his own. Sin has entered the world. This is not the way it was meant to be. This person was born where they couldn't see. And I'm going to show you something through this. Verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming that no one can work. And as long as I, I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, and his, he anointed his eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. That's all Jesus did. Jesus passed by. Jesus showed up. Jesus began to work with this man in such a way that he began to see. But you know what? If, as you read the story, he saw things a little differently. The religious leader said, well, who healed you? And he said, well, some guy. I'm not sure who he was. He said, well, he must have been a sinner because he did it on the Sabbath. Because I don't know, but once I was blind and now I can see. So they go and get his parents and they say, do you know him? He said, our son. Well, who healed him? Well, we don't know who healed him. Ask him. And more and more, this, guy, this man, and this is what I want you to see if you read John 9, is growing in wisdom and understanding 
to the point where Jesus shows up to him because the Pharisees had kicked him out of the uh, out of the out of the temple, I guess, and then, and had had, had had ridiculed him because they kept saying Jesus was a sinner and, and a sinner couldn't do this. And Jesus shows up and he says, "I tell you what, I want you to do. I want you to worship me. I want you to ascribe worth to me. I want you to know me." And that's what happens when we begin to do our work with the Lord. But I wake up. See, and I don't believe that there's someone in opposition to me. I wake up and I don't believe that there's someone who wants to destroy my heart. I wake up and I don't believe there's someone who wants to destroy my, my wife and my family. So I do not enter into the battle for my heart. I just said, look, I walked down the aisle. Jesus saved me. I'm going to heaven. And you know what? That's all true. And if that's good enough for you, that's fine. But we're not in the army that Paul talks about. We're not in the army that Peter, James, and John were involved in. We're not in the army that John the Baptist were involved in. They were warriors. They were fighters. But they always kept their heart soft before him. And that's really what I want to encourage you with this morning. I want you to see that as this, as this, you know, in other places in Scripture, like Tom talked about last week, Zacchaeus, what happens to Zacchaeus? He has a conversation with Jesus. We don't know how long that conversation lasts. We don't know how long it went. We just know that after that conversation, he entered into the battle. And he said, now I can see. And I see that what I have done is wrong, and I'm going to make restitution. And Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. You know what he was saying about Zacchaeus? He was not using loss there in the sense of eternal damnation. That's part of it. He was using loss like this. Your life is of, was of no value, Zacchaeus. Your life meant nothing, Zacchaeus. Now your life will mean something because the living God will indwell you and fill you. That's what he's talking about. He's saying our lives are of no value. If we're not involved in the battle... If we're not part of the war. Now that's a hard thing to say. And I really want you to listen to it. I want you to talk to Tom about it. I want you to talk to the other pastors and elders. If I just get up and go to work and, 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 and live my life. Come home, watch a little TV, go to bed, have dinner. Are you telling me I'm of no value? Of course I would never say that. But I would say that God has gotten you up in the morning. God has taken you to work. God has put you around people. God has brought you home to a family. And God wants you to be a warrior in that situation, lifting him up that others might see who he is. He wants your heart to have hope that, you know, that everything, all is not lost. When you look at an economic crisis, you know, when you see it with the eyes of Christ, I think you see great hope for the church. I preach in a little church in Tennessee, a couple hundred people on Sunday mornings, a place called Teleco Plains, and one of the guys got up and said, you know, what we got to start doing now, we're going to have a garden out back. We're everybody going to grow in the garden, and anybody who needs anything from the garden, just come and get it. He said, we got some money in the treasury, and some of you are hurting real bad. Anybody begin to see opportunity, you have some financial needs, you come to the deacons, we'll do all we can to help. We can become a church. And then he actually stopped in his tracks. His name is Tim Childress. And he said, you know what? We can become a church. It's a different way of looking at the economic crisis, isn't it? Now, I look at it and I see my $400 that's now down to 100 
And I go, holy smoke, I'm in deep trouble. I'm not in trouble if I have the Lord. I'm not in trouble if I'm part of Green Tree Community Church. I'm not in trouble if my eyes are enlightened and I know he is the one that provides and takes care of me, that he is in control. I'm not in trouble. It's all in a matter of how you see it. If it's all me, if it's all on me, all doing my thing, then I am in trouble. What would it look like if we saw things with the eyes of Christ? How would we see things differently? What would it look like when we saw a poor person or a beggar? What would it look like if we saw a homeless person? How would we view our enemies if we looked with, we saw with the eyes of Christ? If someone asked for our coat, how would we respond if we saw with the eyes of Christ? If our marriage seemed like it was going the wrong way, how would we see it if we saw it with the eyes of Christ? If there's a spouse in this room who says, I can no longer love my husband or my wife, how would we see it if we saw it with the eyes of Christ? If there's a prodigal out there who we long for and pray for, how would we see him if we saw it with the eyes of Christ? Let's pray.